are continuing in our RSVP series this morning, RSVP God, and uh, uh, I'm kind of excited about what we're going to talk about today because we're going to talk about a story, a couple of stories that have just been on my heart for for a while, and throughout this uh, series, uh, we, we, we this is week number three, we've talked about what happens when God shows up, and uh, the last uh, two weeks have been about when God showed up in this incredible way. Like one time God showed up in a cloud in his glory. Another time God showed up with a sound and then uh, a sound of a wind and then these flames of fire on people's heads. But today we're going to talk about a couple of stories that when God shows up and uh, but nothing like out of the world happened, out of ordinary happened. All that happened was that people's hearts were transformed and people's hearts were uh, were, were, were changed. Uh, when I was young, uh, I hated to read. I'll be honest, I still don't really like to read at all. There are some of you here that, today and you are readers. Like you couldn't think of anything better than to do all weekend is to curl up on the couch with a good book and read. To go on the beach for a week and just read a couple of books. You get lost in those words. The, the, the words of the book just come alive to you. The stories in the book come alive and it, it takes you to this other world, right? Some of you, you are like that. I am not that person. I find that when I read, after about five minutes, my eyes get really heavy. Because when I read, my brain has to think. And the more my brain thinks, the more tired I get. I can never watch subtitle movies because I fall asleep. Because my brain is going on overload because I have to watch and read at the same time. And I'm a typical guy. I cannot do two things at once. And so... I'm not a huge reader, and I was never a huge reader when I was a kid uh, at all. I always wanted to just be outside playing sports, and uh, uh, the only books I probably would read were like pop-up books, right? You know, where you open the pages, and suddenly, whoa, they do come alive to you uh, for a little bit. Then you close the page and go to the next one. But when I was eight years old, I discovered a book that was the first proper book that I read all the way through. It was a book by the title of Flat Stanley. And uh, if you ever have read this book, it's a, it's a great kid's book, but basically this is what's happened in the book. It's kind of a tragedy, actually. Uh, Stanley was in bed one night, sleeping, and he had this bulletin board that was over his bed, and the bulletin board fell off the wall and fell onto Stanley, and Stanley woke up the next morning, and he was not three-dimensional. He was two-dimensional. He was flat. And then the rest of the book is all about uh, the, the, the adventures of Stanley being flat. Um, and so uh, th- th- this was a book that I read, and, and I was so proud because I read it all the way through, but it actually started to come alive to me, this book. Because I, I, I could just imagine that the, the, this kid just waking up one morning and he's like suddenly flat. He's like, whoa, I'm really skinny today. And, and, and so as I started to, to read this book, I loved this book. But it still didn't take me into a reader. And I really didn't start reading a lot of books until actually I became a pastor because I realized that leaders are readers. And if you want to, uh, if you want to discover more in life, if you want to become a better leader, a better pastor, if you want to be a, a, a better uh, organizational head, if you want to uh, be a better person, if you want to uh, know more about God and know more about the Bible, if I want to be a better husband or a better father or just a better friend, then uh, 
reading is a great way to do it. So I've become a little bit more of a reader. However, my eyes still get very heavy. I don't read fictional. It's all non-fictional because I only read to help to improve uh, the areas of my life. But what I've discovered as I've got older is I have what they call reading seasons. And I had these seasons where I'll go through a few months and I will read a ton of books. Like I can read like three or four books at the same time. And I'm reading through them and I'm enjoying reading before I go to bed at night. Instead of Netflix being on my phone, I am reading. When I wake up in the morning, I'm reading. and 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 I have these seasons where I just love to read and take in all I can. But then I also have these seasons where I do not want to touch a book. Where it's like my, 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 my reading is as dry as a desert. And I'll go months where I won't even pick up a book at all. And I have these seasons, uh, reading seasons. And when you actually look at the Bible and you read through the Bible, you start to understand that uh, in the Old Testament, it, it, it talks about the children of Israel. And, and you see the children of Israel actually had reading seasons themselves. There were seasons where they were reading the Word of God and they were reading the instructions instruction and the law of God uh, and they it was it was all that they could do to take it in and, and it became like a life source to them like they were breathing the word of God out because they were re- they were reading it and taking it all in but then there were other seasons where the word of God and the instruction that God had given to a man called Moses had been put on the side and had been forgotten about and they started to to do life and be directed in their life by their own wants and desires and not by God's instruction for them. And so you see that they had these reading seasons. Some of these seasons uh, where where they read uh, or they followed God lasted for uh, generations. Then there were other seasons where, where they didn't want anything to do with the Word of God that lasted for decades. Some seasons even lasted for centuries. And what you find is The plight of the children of Israel was all determined on whether they were going through a reading season or a non-reading season. Now, when I go home to uh, England and I go to my mother's house, one of my favorite things to do is to go into like her closets and pull out old photographs. I love to look at old photographs. I love to, to, she's got a ton of them. She's got boxes of them and pull them out and look, look at the bad hairstyles I had, you know, look, 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 look how goofy I looked when I was a middle schooler. Uh, I, I love to look at the, the bad fashions we all wore back in the day. Uh, and, and I love to, 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 to see how skinny my dad was back in the day and like laugh at him now. And, uh, that's really not nice, but I still did it. Uh, uh, and, and, and I love looking through old photographs. And, and this is what happens when you start to look through old photographs. You start to reminisce. And you start to look back and, uh, and, and, and remember the things that you had once forgotten. See, often old photographs are just put away in a cupboard or in a closet or, or they're tucked away under the stairs and, or under a bed and you forget about them at all. But as soon as you start to open them and start to look at them, it reminds you of things that happened in the past. It reminds you of, oh, that's why we do what we do, or, or that's where we were, that's where we used to live, oh, that's why we are here right now. And it, and it, and it shows us, our history shows us where we are in life right now. And so I love looking through these. And as the Israelites went through some reading seasons, they often would find themselves like looking through old photographs, 
like realizing, oh, that's why we do what we do. Oh, remember when God told us to do this? And on several occasions, the Israelites, when they had gone through those non-reading seasons, they had forgotten about the law of God. And even at times they had lost the law of God and the instruction of God and the pages that God had given them. And what you find is when they were losing the word of God or forgotten about the word of God, very quickly the result was that they would have destruction or defeat against other nations who were coming against them. But each time they would encounter a fresh look of God's word, they often started to find God's word in the middle of the ruins and the brokenness of destroyed cities. And this morning we're going to discuss two stories in the Bible where the word of God or the instruction of God, the law of God, was found in the middle of brokenness and destruction. That it was found in the middle of the rubble of ruins that had been left for centuries. See, we can often look at ancient ruins and forget that they were once a place bustling with life and activity. If you ever go to Europe at all, and I encourage everyone at least once go to Europe, maybe not right now because it's kind of like a mess over there, but when everything settles down, go back over to Europe and you will find tons of ruins. You will find old castles and uh, old monasteries and, and, and you'll just find like stones just in the middle of like a countryside and like what was that and and once it was like an old building there's ruins everywhere and and when we look at old ruins uh, we we, we can look at them but we can forget that once they were bustling with life and activity and what I find is when you start to search the ruins of people's faith And people who once followed God and maybe they don't follow God anymore, once you start to search the ruins of people's hearts, you're more likely going to find that in the middle of the rubble and the ruins, there was once God's word, God's promise, and God's instruction, but it has been covered by the rubble of destruction. And so these stories that we're going to talk about today, One is about a man called Josiah, who was once the king of Israel. The other is about a man called Nehemiah, who was the governor of Jerusalem at one point. And both of these stories, they are going to tell us or show us that when the people of Israel stopped reading and following the the law and the rules of God... That over time, ultimately, their city was destroyed and their nation was defeated. And I pray today that these examples that we're going to look at will be a revelation to us that we cannot afford to not read, to not understand, and not know God's word for us. Because did you know that God shows up, not just through praise, When we're praising him and worshiping. God shows up not just through prayer when we pray to him. But God also shows up when we open the Bible and we start to read what the Bible has to say. So when God's word stops being our guide in life, then the walls of faith and blessing that surround and protect us start to become vulnerable and eventually will be destroyed. Now, God gave us a promise 
in the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. And the promise is this, for God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. That is your promise. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have a promise from God that you shall not fear, that you have not been given a spirit of fear, but instead you should walk around this world and this life living in love, in power, and self-discipline. And I believe that when God's word becomes vibrant to your life and you start to, to take in the instruction that God gives us through this thing that we call the Bible, then I believe that you shall not live with a spirit of fear. You shall not walk around fearing things, but instead you will walk around and you will be a person of love. You will show people that there is power in the name of Jesus and you will have self-discipline. However, I believe when you start to neglect the word of God, and like an old photograph, you throw it away under the bed or into a cupboard or a closet and you forget about it and it does not become the guide to your life, then your love becomes very weak and diluted. The power that you live by suddenly starts to strain away. And you find it very hard to become self-disciplined. All the while, you start to fear a little bit more. That's what happens when you stop reading the word of God and listening to the voice of God and having a desire for God to direct your life. See, when there are ruins all around and you start to rebuild what has been broken and torn down, you very quickly start to understand that you have to build your life on God's word. And some of you, you have rebuilt your life. Some of you, you've come from broken marriages or broken homes. Some of you, you had broken faith or, or you, you came from a, a broken body and God has restored that body and healed you. And you've started to understand as God rebuilds your life and, and, and as you've rebuilt your marriage and your home, you very quickly understand that that rebuilding project has been based on what God has to say to you, that God's voice and God's instruction to you. Hebrews chapter 12, um, sorry, chapter 4 and verse 12 tells us this. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. See what Hebrews said there? He says that the word of God is alive and and powerful. It's not just like a book that you read or I read and suddenly my eyes get heavy because I'm struggling to read it. But no, it it is like a book that becomes alive to you because it is alive and powerful. These words that are written in the Bible, they are not just words just to to, to look at and read and and, and make sure that we get our devotional in each day and make sure that we, we, we read through the Bible in the year if you do that sort of thing and make sure we get so many chapters in and like I've done my duty for the day, I've read my Bible. The words in this book, the Bible tells us, are alive and powerful. They're not just stories of of things that happened in history, but they are words that are breath to your soul today. 
Have you ever had one of those light bulb moments in your life when suddenly everything just switches on? Like nothing made sense to you before, but suddenly you're like, ah, now I get it. I have that moment every time I buy a piece of Ikea furniture, right? You take it home and you unpack it. The instructions make no sense. And you look at it and you're like, okay, how is this going to make what I saw in the store? And, and, and so you start to put it together, and I've said this on many occasions when I've been building IKEA furniture. This makes no sense. They're doing it wrong. They're not doing it right. We should be doing this piece first before we do this piece. Why does this fit into this? Because, you know, I'm a guy, and I think I know best than IKEA. And so as I'm starting to build it, then halfway through the building project, and it is a building project because they say it takes like five minutes. There is not a piece of Ikea furniture that takes five minutes to put together. It's like a day job. You've got to be prepared for it. You need snacks and protein drinks and everything just to put it together. But you start to put it together, and suddenly like halfway through, you're like, ah, they did make sense altogether. I do understand what they are doing. I had this same situation with my wife because my wife is a very creative kind of person. Like she can see things that nobody else can see. She's creative in her design, in her decorating and her plans for the future as well. And this is what I will often find. We will be sitting at dinner or at the couch and she says, I've been thinking. And that's a sign to say, uh-oh. I've been thinking, how about we do this? And I just give her a look and like, what? That makes no sense at all. Why don't we do this with a house? Or why don't we build this? Or why don't you build this more like? Or why don't we do this with our backyard? Or, or, or if she's doing a design for the church, but she does all our graphics, she's looking, what do you think about this? I'm thinking this and I just can't see it. And it's just making no sense to me at all. And, and I've learned over 12 years of marriage, instead of saying, can you explain it to me? Just like, I should say, babe, you know best. Just do what you think knows best. Because this is what happens every single time. She will make a design or we'll do something in the house. And suddenly I look at it. I'm like, yes, that makes total sense. That looks great. Why didn't we think about this all along, you know? Why didn't we do this years ago? Because Alex has been like, no, I don't think so at all. It's that light bulb moment that comes on. And there was a man in the Bible called Josiah who had this exact moment, a light bulb moment. And his story is found in the book of Kings, second book of Kings, chapter 22. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to second Kings 22, and we're going to discover Josiah's light bulb moment. Ikea furniture moment. And this is what it said. And as I read through, bear with me. There's a whole lot of names here that we're going to read that I'm going to butcher. If you are a Bible scholar, then I'm sorry if I butcher these names. I wish the people of Israel were called Bob, John, John, Sam, Ken, uh, you know, Tim, but they're not. So we're going to read through a lot of, a lot of uh, um, uh, names today. But this is what it says. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in, Jer- in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother was Jedediah, the daughter of Adediah from Boscath. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. 
He did not turn away from doing what was right. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent Saphran, son of Azaliah, and grandson of Mesuthalam, the, the, the court secretary to the temple of the Lord. He told him, go to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him count the money the gatekeepers have collected from the people at the Lord's temple. Entrust this, money to the, uh, entrust this money to the men assigned to supervise the restoration of the Lord's temple. Then they can use it to pay the workers and repair the temple. They will need to hire carpenters, builders, and masons. Also, have them buy timber and the finished stone needed to repair the temple. But don't require the construction supervisors to keep account of the money they receive, for they are honest and trustworthy men. Now, let's stop there for a moment. There's a guy called Josiah. Josiah became king at eight years old. Could you imagine if our president was eight years old? Some people think he acts like an eight-year-old person, but I didn't say that. So, could you imagine if we had a king who was eight years old? I mean, who's going to respect an eight-year-old king? But that's the way it was. He became king at eight years old. He knew nothing else in life but being king. Now, I'm thinking if I'm an eight-year-old king, I'm going to go off the rails, like Lindsay Lohan style, right? I'm thinking that like the fame is going to get to me, the money is going to get to me, the power is going to get to me. I'm going to fall off the deep end. But the amazing thing about this eight-year-old kid is he did what was right in the Lord's sight. He was a good king. He became an adult and at 18 years old, he, he was reigning the whole king kingdom uh, of Israel, of Judah, I should say at the time. And he was a good moral king. The Bible says he did what was right in the Lord's sight. However, when he became king, he had followed a succession of kings who had neglected the word of God. They, they had hidden away and forgotten about the word of God. And the result, remember what I said, the result of, of neglecting the word of God is often destruction and defeat. And this is what happened for the people of Israel and Judah. And what had happened is that the temple of the Lord that two weeks ago we talked about Solomon built, this grand temple, had been destroyed, had been forgotten about, had been neglected, and now it was in ruins. And Josiah decided that he wanted to bring glory back to God by helping to rebuild the temple to its former glories. And so in the middle of the rubble, in the middle of the ruins and the destruction, they start to rebuild the temple. And then this is what it says in verse 8. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphran, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Then Hilkiah gave the scroll, the scroll to Saphran and he read it. So in the middle of the rebuilding, suddenly the high priest comes and he's like, I found a lost book of the law. Many scholars think it was Deuteronomy, but we, we, we don't know. But they found the lost book of the law. See, for all these years, they had tried to be going their own way, trying to be faithful to God without God's instruction, but it had been lost. They had forgotten about it. And now the high priest, Hilkiah, had found the book of the law. In verse 9 says this, Shaphan went to the king and reported, your officials have turned over the money and collected, collected at the temple of the Lord to the workers and the supervisors at the temple. Shaphran told the king 
Hilkiah the high priest has given me a scroll. So Shaphran read it to the king. When the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. So now the book of the law has been found. And Josiah, this young king, he is now hearing the words that he has never heard before, the words of God. And the Bible says he starts to tear his clothes in despair. But later on, we'll find that he actually wept as he heard the words of God. And this is what I discover, that people like Josiah all the time, they are good people. Good moral people who believe in God, even love God. You see them in churches all over this country. They are good people. They have good morals. They want to do good things. But yet their life has never been transformed by the word of God. The word of God that is alive and powerful has never come and changed their hearts and their minds. Never, never come and, and, and change them from the inside out. And Josiah, in this moment, he starts to, to read the words of God, which the Bible tells us is alive and powerful. And it becomes alive to him. And suddenly, as he starts to read it, he starts to weep and rip his clothes in despair. Now, I don't want anyone to do that this morning. Okay, no ripping of your clothes in despair. But he starts to rip his clothes in despair because suddenly the word of God is transforming his life. He starts to hear that there is coming destruction for Israel. That the way that they've been doing life is not in alignment with the way that God wants to do life. And you see, in the middle of this rebuilding project, in the middle of the rubble and the destruction and the ruins, suddenly God's word is found and God's word starts to change lives because hearts are open to God's word. As they start to read, they start to find out that what they've been doing all these years, a lot of it is wrong. It is sinful. It is not in alignment with God's word because that's what God's word is. It is a light to us. It shines a light on our sins, a light on the things that we do wrong. And I say to you today, when God speaks, it is only natural to feel unworthy and have your sins exposed when God speaks. But that's not a bad thing because God's word is a light. And it shines on the imperfections of your life. And as you start to study the Word of God and you start to, to let the Word of God become alive and powerful in your life, you'll start to realize you may be not as good as what you think you are. Because God's Word shines a light on our imperfections. In fact, Psalm 119.30 says this. It says, The teaching of your Word, O God, gives light, so even the simple can understand. And as Josiah starts to read the book of the law, he starts to begin to understand it's not enough just to be a good person. But that God desires that we give our all to him. And in the middle of giving our all to him, suddenly God shows up. And so then we're going to fast forward a few verses to verse 19. They basically go and, and find a prophet and this prophet comes and, and, and speaks to them. And says that, yes, God is going to destroy Israel. And then verse 19 says this. The prophet said to Josiah, uh, to Josiah, You were sorry and humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what was said against this city and its people. 
that this land would be cursed and become desolate. You tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance. And I have indeed heard you, says the Lord. So I will not send the promised disaster until you have died and been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster that I'm going to bring on this city. See what happened. God was going to bring disaster on this city. But Josiah, he got on his knees and he let the word of God transform him. And as a result, God withheld his anger upon them. There is a right way to respond when God speaks. And that is a pos- in a posture of humility and an attitude of repentance. Many years after Josiah, the next king didn't do what was right in God's sight. And what happened? Destruction and defeat came. They'd forgotten about God's word again. And as a result, many of the Israelites ha- 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 were taken as captives and slaves to Babylon. And the city was in ruins. And many, many years later, there was a man called Nehemiah, who was a Jewish man who lived and worked in the court of the king of Babylon. He was, in fact, the cupbearer to the king. And he, as he, as he, as he started to work for the king, he started to hear reports of what was going on in Jerusalem. And as he was working in Jerusalem, as he was working for the king, suddenly these reports came back saying that there is destruction in Israel and in Jerusalem and the walls have been destroyed. Suddenly his heart sank. And kind of long story short, the king allowed Nehemiah to go and lead an effort to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. In fact, he gave him money and resources to do it. And Nehemiah, he went into Jerusalem and he was successful in rebuilding the walls. In fact, they did it in record time. And out of the broken walls of Jerusalem, suddenly the city had life again. And so after the walls had been repaired in Jerusalem, this is what happens. It's found in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. In October, when the Israelites had settled in the town, all the people assembled with a verified purpose or unified purpose, at the square just inside the water gates. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel to obey. So Ezra comes out and starts to read. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and the women and all the children old enough to understand He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud and everyone could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Did you hear that? All the women and the children who could understand came to a place called the water gate. Ezra stands on a platform, starts to read the law of God from early in in the morning until noon. And they all listened attentively. No one sat. They were all standing. Now imagine if I asked you guys to do that this morning. Okay, next Sunday. We're going to meet at 6 in the morning. And we are going to read the book of Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And uh, let's just do some other books while we're at it as well. How about Revelation as well? Just to, you know, mix it up. And we're going to sit here and we're going to read that until 12. I want everyone to stand. I want you to bring your kids. Your kids have to be quiet. No snacks at all for the kids. And we're going to see what God 
can do. I mean, you think I'm crazy. I would think I was crazy. But this is exactly what happened to these people. And then it says this in verse 4, Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. To his right stood Mathathiah, Shammah, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Mataniah. To the left stood Pediah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashran. I told you. It's like my Bible, like, just had, like, in two lines. And then this is my favorite name of all. Hashbadadanama. I mean, what a name is that? I'm going to call my next kid that. Zechariah and Meshulam. Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people shouted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted their hands. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shababethi, Jodiah, Manasiah, Kel-Iktah, I think, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah. Can you imagine those names? Then instructed the people in the law. While everyone remained in their places, they read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people to understand each passage. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. For today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law of God. So the Bible tells us as the people gathered, they gathered with a unified purpose. This is what we are discovering through this series. Every time God shows up, it follows a period where people were unified together. Remember Solomon, when they praised God, they praised it in unity. Last week we talked about prayer and the disciples, they were unified in prayer. Now they were unified in listening to the word of God together. Do not ever underestimate the power of unity. And this is what happened. They were gathered together in in a unified purpose, a unified hunger for God. They were desperate to hear God speak. These walls had been destroyed, now they were rebuilt, and now God's word became alive and powerful to them. And every time God shows up, we're finding that lives are changed and cities are transformed. And I believe if we want God to show up in our church and in our city, then we are going to need to strive more than ever for unity together, where we praise God together, we pray together, we study God's word together. And the result of the people's hunger for God was humility and repentance. They started to weep. But then the brokenness of the city started to turn to celebrations. And that is what happens when God's word becomes alive and active. Weeping turns to joy. Darkness turns to light. Where there's brokenness, we start to find restoration. 
And the result of the people's uh, hunger for God was that this city started to come alive again. See, I believe when the people of God are hungry for God's word, the result will be that cities are restored. And we live in a city that may not be broken down in terms of walls, but spiritually, we live in a ruined city. We live in a city where people have neglected God altogether, that the word of God, for some, has just become become nothing to them. They don't even believe in this anymore. And we live in a city, we live in a county where lives are getting ruined because we no longer follow the words of God. But when God's people like us become hungry for God's word, the results are cities are restored. But I believe trying to restore people's lives without the word of God is like filling hearts and minds or is, is like driving a car, I should say, without any oil. And that's what many people are trying to do today. We have so many charities. We even have churches that strive for social justice. And I believe in social justice. I believe that as a church, we should be on the forefront of helping people socially. However, when we try to do that without God's words, it is like us driving a car without oil. It looks great. We have great intentions, but in the end, it's just going to burn up and it's going to get destroyed. Because lives will only be changed and restored when God's word starts to sink deep in their hearts. These two stories, they show us that if we are okay with broken lives, if we're okay with broken homes and broken marriages and broken churches and broken schools and broken cities, we very quickly stop hearing God speak. Because this is what I know. Ruins are a result of neglect. And if our county and our city and the people that you meet with every day, if their spirituality and their faith is in ruins, it is a result of neglect. And if we let the things stay broken without trying to fix them, it shows one or two things. Either we don't care Or we've just given up trying. And I tell you, as a church, as Generation Church, I pray that will never be us. We should never give up on people no matter how far they have gone. We should always care for our city no matter how evil it may ever become. When we acknowledge that brokenness is not God's desire. That broken homes and broken lives and broken families, and broken schools, and broken workplaces, and broken cities is not God's desire. When we start to act to help rebuild the ruins, then you will start to find that God's word in the middle of the ruins, and God's word will illuminate our lives, and God's voice will become very, very loud. Let's bow our heads in prayer.